Only Ukraine will Only win. Only Ukraine will win. Fuck Russians. We'll kill everybody. For our land. It's our land. Okay, guys. You, you, you see... You see, you see what people have to say about that. All right. Greetings, friends. It's Chapo, Monday, March 7th, 2022. Uh, we are now uh, back uh, from the first leg of our tour, but we are about to, we're going to hit Texas and Louisiana uh, starting next week. But, um, uh, gentlemen, how's your, uh, how's your recovery going? Oh, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I did not poison myself with alcohol, so I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just, no alcohol um, at all. That's true. Yeah. You can do anything if you don't drink, and I can't. <laughs> Ever until they make the impossible pancreas, which seems farther and farther away every day. But uh, you know, I've just uh, I've just been eldening my ring. How's your character build going? Pretty good. Uh, Ishin the Swag Saint is <laughs> coming along. Uh, I'm in um, I'm in a castle covered in mucus and pus right now. And sounds good. Yeah, I'm trying to get a gross sword. I'm trying to get a sword that. Uh, you know, we've we've all had that time in, my li- in our lives where if you walk around our apartments barefoot, our feet are totally black. That's the type of uh, dirtiness and sinewy pus I'm trying to impart on my blade. Uh, a castle covered with mucus and pus? What is this, Queen Elizabeth's bedroom? Boom. That's right. New, right fo- new photo of her today. Um, really? They did a proof of life? Yeah. Well, I mean, this might be old. I just saw it's a picture of her with... Uh, Justin Trudeau, and yeah, okay. I mean, she looks like the Pygmy Kings from Dark Souls Three. Right now. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to like really make fun of her because she's like what a hundred, you know? Basically, yeah, yeah. But at the I think same you can time, round up there. Yeah, at the same time, like, fuck you. You're the biggest <laughs> drug dealer on earth. Fuck you. Uh, can for listeners to listen, can you just give them, like, give them a little a uh, little insight into your character class. You know, a, what, what, what kind of stats you going with? What weapons you working with? I am a samurai. Uh, that is the starting class I picked. I'm doing a dex and intelligence build. I'm going to be a sorcerer samurai modeled off of Ishin Ashina from uh, Sekiro. Um, right now, only at 22 dexterity, but the bleed damage uh, has been incredible i did i you know for those of you out there who are still quality build cucks try a dex build because when you bleed an enemy that's like a free one-third of their health bar you know you you can you can see why uh girls keep periods a secret (laughs) (laughs) you know when it why you know you know men are like oh she's pmsing well yeah you'd be in a bad mood too if you lost a third of your hp uh, you know, a bleed damage. I mean, I hate bleeding. You know, it's just one of the worst kind of damages that a body can take. Yeah, your blood. Um, it's supposed to be on the inside. What the hell? Yeah, I've been taking blood thickeners so I don't bleed as much. Yeah, so you get cut. It's so, like, so it comes uh, out like soft serve yogurt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Slow. You can easily pinch that off. Yeah. No, I have a sort of Dairy Queen style blood. Well, um, I'm glad. I'm glad you're getting in some uh, some gaming time. Um, have a little little bit of respite this week, um, but then we'll be back out hitting uh, Texas and Louisiana. Very much looking forward to that. Before we get into today's show, I want to give a special shout out 
to everyone who showed up to our live shows in Charlotte, Atlanta, and Nashville. Everyone I got a chance to meet after the shows. Everyone we got a chance to hang out with. You guys really made this one of the the, the best first half of a tour we've ever done. Uh, just you, it was a really special time, and just uh, you guys, you, you showed us a wonderful time in the South. And I'm really looking forward to Texas and Louisiana. Yeah, it's gonna be lit. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, what can we say? It has been so fucking fun to be back on the road. It's been two years. Like we've done live shows, but touring's a totally different experience. I mean, let's face it. The audiences in New York take us totally for granted and hate us. But you know, <laughs> without down, cigarettes on us, it's yeah. They, I mean, talk about pus. I've they uh, they throw buckets of shit at us like inmates, like unruly inmates. But no, it has been very fun. Every crowd has been amazing. Uh, it's been a joy, um, and it's been our pleasure to meet everyone. And these are some of the best shows we've ever done. We don't really get anyone who gets nervous before uh, any type of live performance. They're either lying to try to sound humble or they suck and shouldn't be doing the thing they're doing. But, you know, we weren't sure. We weren't sure because it's been a while since we toured. But, no, everything everything has been a blast. And we want to thank everyone for coming out. And we're so excited for the second half of the tour. Um, and also a special shout out to the uh, the true all-star of this Southern tour, uh, Matt and Amber's dog, Boris. Yeah, uh, yeah, just high quality service animal, keeping my anxiety and depression levels very low, very low. Just give him a give him a little little kiss, little kiss, little squeeze. Oh, uh, you're feeling you're loving it. He's he's he is he's the new mascot. I mean, we're everyone loves Boris. Everybody loves Boris. Can't get enough of him. Boris is probably the best small dog I've ever met in my life. Like he's yeah. most small dogs have like kind of a shitty attitude, you know, because it's tough. It's tough. You know, you were over hundreds of years you were bred to be a small little bean and so you you have to yell all the time so your mom will put you put you in a purse that you live in but boris is gregarious he has the attitude of like i'd say a 50 pound dog he's friendly he like jumps up on your lap and you know most dogs when you're eating you know they're gonna put their wet mouth on that no he just looks at you but you like just put your your hand on his chest and he's like oh okay i get it yeah, he's very chill. We love him, and uh, he's, he he made this tour a very special experience. But uh, Texas next week, we're coming through. Uh, we're really looking forward to that. Yeehaw! But uh, we're okay. Well, so we're back in regular show mode, back in recovery mode. So uh, let's hop in it for today. And I guess I got we got to begin once again with uh, Ukraine. And uh, where do I begin? This is like I don't know, man. It's just the. Uh, it really does seem the war fever in this country is is getting back to like 2002, 2003 levels. You know, I mean, like like with the, like the media and just 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 the general attitude um, of anyone who expresses any skepticism uh, towards escalating this conflict or um, I don't know, uh, rendering a historical explanation about like uh, how why and how it's happening right now is or not um, validating like with absolute childlike credulity literally anything that comes out of like the ukrainian side of the war it's yeah. wild my uh my favorite my favorite feature of um all american war fever all uh american media coverage of any war we have anything to do with is um when people go well you know america america's done bad things but we're not uh you know, we're not responsible for every bad thing that happens. When you hear someone say that, they mean nothing. They mean don't bring up anything America has ever done at all. 
especially yeah, because, not in relation to this specific conflict. Well, I mean, let, let's just jump into it because I got I got two reading series today that that render that that critique that Felix was uh, just describing that renders it in vivid clarity. And you know, like the the people who are saying this, like, oh, you know, there are worse things out there than America. Are the people who did all the horrible things that that are that 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 are being used now to to, to muster some sort of I don't know skepticism for like the American uh, you know State Department or uh, you know politicians who uh, you know or just the, anyone who uh, like I said expresses any kind of skepticism is now being accused of being in the pocket of Vladimir Putin or being pro-Russian or something like that and I mean it just feels all exactly like the way it did in the war on terror and the war on terror's biggest boosters are back to remind you that the war on terror never happened and it's like it's 1998 again yeah no all this shit is the only way it can leave your lips without you fucking crumbling to a pile of dust like in last crusade is if you decontextualize it to, to a point where it's beyond meaning where you make it so America is just it's just a normal country it's just any other country that there isn't some special onus or responsibility or weight to your actions when you you have been the world's only superpower for 20 30 years. Well, let's go let's go on the first one here. Uh this comes courtesy of the Atlantic surprise surprise. Uh this is by uh the Atlantic uh, Council Hamid. magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization magazine. <laughs> Shadi Hamid uh who's of the Brookings Institute. So oh boy, I mean, like, yeah, I mean once again Richard Richard Nixon, he was a lot of talk, no follow-up. That's all I'll <laughs> say about the Brookings Institute. But yeah, okay. So his article in The Atlantic is titled, There Are Many Things Worse Than American Power. Blaming U.S. hegemony for global problems has been easy, but Putin's invasion of Ukraine offers a preview of a much more dangerous world. Um, so he begins by saying, If there was any doubt before, the answer is now clear. Vladimir Putin is showing that a world without American power, or for that matter, Western power, is not a better world. For the generation of Americans who came of age in the shadow of the September 11th attacks, the world America had made came, into question, came with a question mark. Their formative experiences were the ones in which American power had been used for ill in Iraq and Afghanistan. In the Middle East more broadly, and for much longer, the United States has built a security architecture around some of the world's most repressive regimes. For those on the left, this was nothing new, and it was all too obvious. I spent my college years reading Noam Chomsky and other leftist critics of U.S. foreign policy. Good for you. <laughs> and they weren't entirely wrong. On balance, I, I, I read <laughs> Noam Chomsky in college. That's the new I have experimented. <laughs> I did. I read no. I read Noam Chomsky, but I did not inhale any of his, yeah. any of his lessons. <laughs> I only like his linguistics work. <laughs> I've, I've seen. I've seen that in the bio. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen that too. I read yeah. Chomsky for the linguistics. <laughs> On balance, the U.S. may have been a force for good, but in particular regions at particular times, it had been anything but. So brave of Shadi to uh, admit this at the beginning of his essay. Because, I mean, he, he's saying like, oh, in, in just very discreet times and places, America has not been a force for good in the world. And by the way, uh, the Brookings Institute supported uh, all of these instances wholeheartedly. And including Shadi, if you go back long enough in, in his CVV, uh, I couldn't find anything on Iraq, but he was a huge booster of the war in Libya and uh, regime change for Gaddafi. Yeah. So, I mean, like you, you would think that like Shadi, like that's, that's one discrete example in the world in recent memory that you supported in which U.S. power was used to make the make a situation vastly worse than it was before. So congratulations for reading Chomsky. Um, it hasn't helped you in any way. 
Well, this um, is so- this is part and parcel with the uh, well, you know, I know America's done bad things. All those bad things were, you know, about ten years ago. If we're if it, yeah, if, if it's a real bleeding heart like shoddy, it was ten years ago. But they they don't count because we've. I guess it, we've instantly lost superpower status. I don't know. Depending uh, either due to wokeness or, you know, polarization or whatever you want to say. Well, I mean, I, it's also like this. I, I think I think for people like Shadi, it's sort of like, yes, in certain discrete times and places like Iraq and Afghanistan and the Middle East over the last <laughs> 20 or 30 years. Yeah. America has been anything but a force for good. But I really think for these guys, it's sort of like. Okay, yeah, we screwed up, but our intentions were so good. Whereas, you know, Vladimir Putin, he has evil intentions. He just wants to conquer a country and take it over and destroy its people. Whereas America, yes, we conquer countries and destroy people, but we but we did it to help them, and it was just like our it was our for their own good. It was for their own good, and like, and they screwed it up. You know, like like they were the ones who chose violence over over peace and security that we were offering. And, you know, America, we just we were just so naive in our good intentions. We thought the world would embrace all the good things that we were offering them at the point of a gun. Well, OK, so they're doing they're doing. um, Oh, well, this is what a big, ugly, sad, scary, multipolar world looks like. But the bad actors in the multipolar world are directly traceable to things we did when it was exactly monopoly. Yes. World. Yes. So what the yes. fuck are you talking about? We put fucking Putin in power in the first place. Well, okay. He goes on. He writes, blaming America first became all too easy. Yeah, you're goddamn right. You're goddamn right. It's easy because you're we're, we're the ones at fucking fault. And also, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. So goddamn right. I'm going to blame America first because this is the country that I'm at least in theory responsible for as a citizen of a democracy. And you know what? A lot of these a lot of these liberal hawks are getting real nasty in their fucking uh, in, in their portrayal of the Russian people. And like Russia as a country, like they're just like it's a country of orcs and, you know, like like they need to be made to feel pain because they're not all turning out in the streets to fucking protest this war. And it should be noted, many, many Russians are many Russians are opposed to this war and many are risking a lot more than people do in this country to fucking protest it. Um, but like, but yeah, like they need to be collectively punished because they haven't done it like a, they haven't risen up on mass to overthrow their brutal, brutal dictator that rules their country. So, I mean, that is the Osama bin Laden rationale for why it's okay to kill American civilians during the war on terror or, or to do 9-11 is because, you know, in a democracy, like, you know, people, people choose their government and like the citizens of a country are responsible for the actions of those governments. So at least you so like if you if you believe that about Russia, you'd have to you'd have to admit to yourself that America is no more as either no more or less a democracy than Russia is or that like, you know, that that, that, that America like we bear the sins of our own country and like and, and even our civilians can be held responsible for it. Because, you know, if we're a democracy, that's got to be the case. And you can't hold two standards for, for Russia and America if, 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 if you're taking this point of view. Again, to, exon- to condemn the people of Russia because they're not, they're not, you know, uh, haven't done a revolution yet to overthrow Putin. But we haven't done a revolution to overthrow our government either. So it's like either no one's responsible or everyone is. Well, yeah, no, I've, see, I've noticed that a lot in the uh, Russia-ologists, the Russia specialist field who... Oh my God! I bet it was a sad two years after Russia Gate, but they're they're back in business more than ever. The main role of the Russia expert now seems to be convincing, uh, like normal, good-hearted people that 
Russians support every single thing that Putin does. And even if they're not explicitly supporting them, they are by not protesting. So you can do whatever you want to them. And, you know, you can point to the kind of the rise of kind of a uh, uh, like a, a terrifying and, and violent nationalism in Russia that's certainly being stoked now by this invasion. But like, take a look in the fucking mirror. I know I know I would never want to blame America first here, but let's get our own house in order before we start fucking, uh, you know, uh, condemning entire countries full of people for not having the right politics. So he goes on here. He says, after September 11th, U.S. power was, an over, was as overwhelming as it was uncontested. That it was squandered on two endless wars made it convenient to focus on America's sins while underplaying Russia and China's growing ambition. For his part, Putin understood well that the balance of power was shifting. Knowing what he knew, the Russian president wasn't necessarily irrational in deciding to invade Ukraine. He had good reason to think that he could get away with it. After all, he had gotten away with quite a lot for nearly 15 years, ever since the Russian war against Georgia in 2008, when George W. Bush was still president. Then he annexed Crimea in 2014 and intervened brutally in Syria in 2015. Each time, in an understandable desire to avoid an escalatory spiral with Russia, the United States held back and tried not to do anything that might provoke Putin. Meanwhile, Europe became more and more dependent on Russian energy. Germany, for example, was importing 55% of its natural gas from Russia. Just three weeks ago, it was possible for Der Spiegel to declare that most Germans thought peace with Russia is the only thing that matters. The narrative of a feckless and divided West solidified for years. We as Americans were feeling unsure of ourselves, so it was only reasonable that Putin would feel it too. In such a context, and after four years of Donald Trump and the domestic turmoil that he wrought, it was tempting to valorize restraint and limited engagements abroad. Worried about imperial overreach, most of the American left opposed direct U.S. military action against Bashar al-Assad's regime in the early 2010s, even though it was Russian and Iranian intervention on behalf of Syria's dictator that bore the marks of a real imperial enterprise, not just an imagined one. They have, uh, they have very successfully made it so America did absolutely nothing in Syria. Yeah, right. No, he just said it. that word direct is, is the load-bearing frame of that sentence. Oh, no. People were opposed to direct U.S. military invasion of Syria other than, I don't know, arming half of the fucking country. Yeah, I would say that we spent probably just in pure dollar amount a comparable amount to Russia. But yet, nonetheless, I want to go back a little bit to Afghanistan and Iraq. And I've noticed this a lot in the Brookings sphere that um, they have they have successfully branded Iraq and Afghanistan as blunders, as missteps. Yep. You know, when any other when any of these other bad countries in the multipolar world do something, it is a deliberate evil act to dominate, yes, humiliate, yes. and extract. When America does it, it's, uh, oh, whoops. Oops. Oh, whoops. We accidentally oh, occupied this country for 20 years. We accidentally, we were, we were accidentally bodyguards for the pedophile warlords of Afghanistan. Whoops. We accidentally uh, extracted wealth and just did a fucking circular embezzlement scheme in Iraq. We accidentally did all this. Uh, Oops. Who, know, we, who knows how we did this? Maybe we left our keys in the car and we ended up over here. We accidentally wore our gray sweatpants to the Vaz Museum and got a boner and knocked them all over. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, guys. Also, he's, so he's saying, I mean, uh, the litany here is like Putin's aggression was uh, sort of encouraged by our failure to intervene, intervene in Syria, right? I mean, as we said, we did intervene. Well, we intervened short of the Iraq-Afghanistan solution, which had been direct military invasion. 
which according to him were blunders. So why yes. would Syria have not yes. also been a fucking but, blunder? Matt, Matt, this is exactly the thing. Cause Brookings, the Brookings Institute were the, probably the strongest voices of like the, of liberal institutions that were incredibly hawkish during the war on terror. They, they supported the Iraq and Afghanistan wars every step of the way. But the problem is both of those were colossal fuck ups for, for the U S geopolitical regime. And everyone recognizes that. Well, and also like fuck ups in a certain sense in that it made us look bad and everyone has to admit that they were mistakes now. But they weren't fuck up so much. And like we, we we got a lot of what we wanted out of those countries. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like and it, they weren't, Syria, too. Like we're in. Yeah. We're, we're, we are occupying right now the most oil rich portions of Syria. And so that's, like that's a fucking win. You know, and, you know we, we, we talked about this a little bit on, on our previous shows, but like they're just so sore that they have to admit that the things they supported were mistakes, even though they haven't been punished for it or faced any consequences for them whatsoever. So and like it don't don't get this twisted. If Iraq and Afghanistan had gone better, like in terms of public opinion, they absolutely would have invaded Syria as well. One thousand percent. Absolutely. The only, was- and that's the, the only thing holding them back was these so-called blunders that their that their innocent naivete led them to believe would uh, have a better outcome. And I think what they what their assumption here is that that there is a gap between what we did in Syria and invasion, that if we had gone to that point, right, if we had gone a little bit further, that it would have worked somehow. Right. That's the assumption here, the, the delusional assumption underlining all of this. Uh, crackpot realist uh, uh, blob thinking is that America can, if it wants to determine any outcome and if it doesn't determine an outcome, it's because it didn't want it hard enough, but I'm sorry, Syria is the consequence of the failure of America's uh, imperial overreach in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the consequence of that failure is that you don't get to decide who's in charge of Syria and you can, You could throw money in there and arm every psycho in town and destabilize it and make it ungovernable and uh, and assure that you have, you know, able to ability to influence uh, like the the chaotic swirl. But you can no longer. That's a power America doesn't have anymore. And and that is a a reality that Putin uh, reckons with and, and recognizes. But it's not because any of us lost our faith in the project. It's because. This is what decline looks like. And anyone who can't recognize that this is the, what decline looks like is fucking delusional. And it's terrifying that all of the smart realists who have positions of influence uh, are all gripped by the exact same mania that we have an ability as a, as a state, as a project, that we no longer possess. And and like to the extent that we no longer possess it or ever did have it in the first place, I mean... Never had it to begin blew- with, Kumar. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but like they blew their load on Iraq and Afghanistan. Yes, that was We're their spent. shot. That was it. Shot. That, that was, that was it. That was their. That was that was going to be the fulfillment of everything that they were hoping for a new American century on the liberal and neoconservative side, which is basically at this point the same fucking one. And like whether we had it to begin with, is the point is like I think these people really believe that all it takes for us to get it back is that we just got to start believing in ourselves again. We have it to start was. believing in the rightness of our, our cause and our moral authority to dictate terms to the rest of the world. Yeah. The, the, the war in Iraq was our attempt to uh, extend the concept of American sovereignty in the face of a fully nat- globalized capitalist order that by definition was going to reallocate power elsewhere because America was no longer necessary as, as a uh, center point because you've gotten to uh, an actual global interconnected system and the war in Iraq was an attempt to 
resist that reality by seeing how far America's military uh, power could be extended. It's, it's sovereignly controlled military power. And we hit our fucking limit. And we found out that 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 power no longer existed. We'd given away the store. And now Putin is in a similar situation faced with the total dissolution of sovereignty in the face of a global market and trying now that America is no longer there to prevent other countries from acting like us is going to make his throw at the dice. So he's probably going to get the same fucking answer that we got because it's too yeah. fucking late. And, you know, for for Shadi to talk about like, oh, Russia and China's ambitions or their their imperial interventions in Syria, you know, either directly or through proxies. It's just like, well, look, we're, I mean, we're not intervening directly in Yemen either. But like through by proxy, we're carrying out the single greatest fucking humanitarian catastrophe on the planet now. And not just over the last 10 days or 14 days, over the last three or four fucking years. You're talking Between about Yemen millions. And Afghanistan, what are we doing? I mean, my God, Afghanistan, it's literally just being choked to death. We 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 closed Afghanistan in. Remember at the beginning of the of the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan invasion when the Northern Alliance threw all those Taliban guys and sealed container ships. We basically did that on the way out the door to the entire fucking country with by just taking their goddamn money. And now we're just letting them starve. And we've been helping the Saudis uh, genocide Yemen for the past, what, eight years now? I mean, we are, we have there is literally no leg now, to stand on other than yeah, of yeah, course, the fact that there are victims are uh, less recognizably human to people inside uh, the wire. Yep, that's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And no, no, and if you bring this up, if you bring this up as as people have, or have been want to deal with good cause over the last two weeks or so, you're increasingly being accused of doing whataboutism, mm-hmm. and you're doing whataboutism and engaging in a Russian propaganda effort. And to that, to that, I had two points. The first is it, it, if you don't think that this whataboutism is relevant to the like uh, I don't know morals, moral or ethical standing of the people fucking like uh, demanding things of you now here and now. If you if you can't assess their pro, their previous conduct uh, based on, uh, if you can't use their previous conduct to assess their current behavior and opinions, then I don't know what the fuck uh, you're even doing paying attention to the news or history or anything. The second point is, and Felix, we talked about this a little bit. If you think that we Chamo and Trap House are engaging in whataboutism on behalf of a Russian imperial project, or we are apologizing for an aggressive war, uh, you know, invasion of another sovereign country by by Russia or whatever, don't listen to the fucking show. That is that has been my favorite uh my favorite thing is uh someone saying uh hey I'm a fan of you but I think you're excusing genocide. <laughs> like I mean if you really think that like That's a yikes my dude but what about the what what is about what Saddam's doing to the Kurds? Well no, I mean, how is it not the exact same fucking argument. I mean and to that end it's like yes Russia's doing bad things. I'm glad that that's one group of people doing bad things that we are happen to not be sending weapons to. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like yeah, like uh, uh, yeah. If you if if you think that like oh, you can't talk about America's past sins while Russia is currently sinning, then it's just like don't listen to the fucking show. I'm sorry, but I'm an American, and like I, I feel a little bit more responsible for this country's conduct than I do about Russia's. And like, yes, if you want to hear it again, oh, I I, I loudly and strongly condemn Putin's invasion of fucking Ukraine. Congratulations. Are, are you? Is it safe for you to continue listening to the show? Because let's get back into this fucking Brookings Institute asshole. Well, yeah, he no, and, and this this always comes up. Not when you're, you know, you're not, you know, saying, oh, well, Russia, Russia has a just cause. Russia, you know, Russia is showing restraint. You're not saying any of these things. You're not saying the things that you see in, you know, the. The Americans whose job I do not envy now working for like press TV or something, 
you are saying this is bad, but I, I, I fear we are going to see a repeat of so many bad outcomes. Uh, these past eight years sending fucking God knows how many weapons that ended up God knows where in Ukraine. If you say that at all, you're excusing genocide. I'm uh, skipping a little ahead here in Shadi, but he, he writes here, America's low opinion of its own capacity for good and the resulting desire to retreat or disengage hasn't just been a preoccupation of the far left. The crisis of confidence has been pervasive, spreading to the halls of power and even President Barack Obama, whose memorable mantra was don't do stupid shit. Instead of thinking about what we could do or what we could do better, Obama was more interested in a self-limiting principle. For their part, European powers content to bask under their U.S. security umbrella could afford to believe in fantasies of perpetual peace. Europe's gentleness and lethargy. Oh, yeah. Europe's been so fucking gentle. What a, what a, what a gentle fucking continent, the EU. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, the president of France is co-prince of Andorra just out of pure affinity. It says, uh, could afford to believe in fantasies of perpetual peace. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, one popular Twitter account, uh, at ISEU Concerned, devoted itself to mocking the European Union's propensity to express concern, but do little else whenever something bad happened. Suddenly, the EU has been aroused from its slumber, and the parody account was rendered temporarily speechless. This is no longer tepid concern, but righteous fury. Member states announced that they would send anti-tank weapons to Ukraine. Germany, for the first time, said it would ramp up its military budget to 100 billion euros. On the economic front, the EU announced some of the toughest sanctions in history. My podcast co-host, an Atlantic Council senior fellow, likened it to a holy war, European style. Boy, when, when are situations like that ever ended up badly? <laughs> European holy war? Sign me let's up. Get, let's, get, let's get Europe involved in another holy war against Russia. Good job. Sometimes unusual and extreme events mark the separation between old and new ways of thinking and being. This week, Berlin-based journalist Elizabeth Zarovsky remarked the current moment reminded her of the memoir The World of Yesterday, written by the Austrian novelist Stefan Zweig as World War II loomed. In it, he recalls the twilight of the Austro-Hungarian Empire with an almost naive fondness. On the first day of the Ukraine invasion, I happened to be speaking to a group of college students who had no memory of September 11th. I told them that they may be living in history. Those students, like all of us, are bearing witness to one of those rare events that recast how individuals and nations alike view the world they inhabit. God, just like the fucking, uh, just the, the enthusiasm these people have for another world war is really something. Because like to them, it's not about millions of people potentially dying. It's about like that feeling we all get as history's actors. Also, hey, you know, if, if everyone gets nuked one way or another, we have solved this whole crisis of uh, sovereignty and power, right? Because those supply chains will be good and snapped once and for all. And, and, we're, and people can reconstitute power at a, like, at a, a geographically fixed way. And we, hey, maybe you'll be on top of that. But like at this point, like a war is the only thing that's going to stop any of these fucking countries from slowly seeing their ability to assert any independent authority over uh, events completely evaporate. I mean, right now it's mostly illusory and the few things they still have control of are pressing the buttons on the military machine and they're hoarding their fucking, they're, they're very jealously guarding that, uh, that power because it's increasingly the only one they really have left. And the danger we all face is that people are going to be more and more incentivized to press them and see what happens just because the the uh, alternative is so uh, grim and uh, unavoidable through any other action. And I just like, I also, I also hate 
the glibness with which people like Shadi talk about, oh, like America, like we're, we're, we've lost our confidence and we, we have this, this need to draw inward and retreat from the world. It's like America's a big, it's the most wealthy country in the world, it's the most powerful country in the world, but we got a lot of fucking problems here at home. Like maybe, maybe now is not the best time to be remaking the world in our image. Maybe we should fucking fix some of our own problems here. And like that, you know, oh, like, and they're saying, oh, but you're going to abandon the rest of the world to, to torment and, and, you know, enslavement by, by aggressive states. It's just like what you're demanding is that we enslave the world by being an aggressive state. Well, we finally have something more degenerated and perverse than uh, Straussianism. Something more perverse than uh, the world should be gun smoke because unless there is a constant struggle of good versus evil, us being good, you know, we'll fall apart. Our institutions will crumble. The institutions have already crumbled, but guys like Shadi want a version of Straussianism, but where, you know, instead of uh, good versus evil or else the institutions collapse, it's just Friday night lights. We need to have the <laughs> big game. Eyes. We have the need to have the big game all the time. So I feel kind of good. Like just, I don't just take Wellbutrin. Clear eyes, full hearts. I mean, a pageant. Can't lose. I, yeah, I mean, a spectacle that I can engage in that can uh, that can give me some sense of of power. It's it's like a fucking uh, Viagra commercial. Well, he closes, he closes out the essay by saying, in any number of ways, Russia's aggression has underscored why Biden was right and why authoritarians and the authoritarian idea itself are such a threat to peace and stability. Russia invaded Ukraine, a democracy, because of the recklessness and domination of one man, Vladimir Putin. The countries that have rallied most enthusiastically behind Ukraine have almost uniformly been democracies, chief among them the United States. America is lousy, disappointing, and maddeningly hypocritical in its conduct abroad, but the notion of any moral equivalence between the United States and Putin's Russia has been rendered laughable. And if there is such a thing as a better world, then anti-imperialists may find themselves in the odd position of hoping and praying for the health and longevity not of just the West, but of Western power. God, just let that marinate for a second, because I just love the way the ease with which he can say, yes, America's conduct has been disappointing and sometimes maddeningly hypocritical in its conduct abroad. But it's like, OK, you can't admit that America killed about a million people in the war in the war on terror as a whole and, and birthed many of the, 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 the subsequent crises and, and humanitarian catastrophes that are bedeviling this planet. You can't admit that. And then just be like, but yeah, like we're still a force for good in the world. We killed a million people for no fucking reason. Certainly nothing to do with our own security or safety. What I want to know is what specifically has really changed about the structures of uh, bureaucracy and administration uh, and decision making that uh, made that horrible mistake in, in Iraq. Uh, what has changed about them between then and now? to give you any belief that the results would be different this time. Yes. What? Oh, we have a different president? Yeah. Uh, the, the, absolute, <laughs> the guy who voted for the war in Iraq? Who thinks that he's arguing with MacArthur about crossing the 38th fucking parallel? <laughs> <laughs> no, these people like Shadi, they, they, they have no shame in what they're, what they're seeing. And I, I know, like, again... If, if you bring up any of this stuff, you're accused of having an America-centric version of the world, vision of the world, right? You're like, oh, you're just focusing on America. Not everything's about America. But what these people see here is an opportunity to just make America great again, but in a Indeed. liberal sense. But at the end of the day, it can't be done. Like, nope. Because the capacity is gone. And when you consider how insulated from uh, public opinion 
uh, and democratic accountability of any kind, foreign policy is, there's no way you can argue that there's anything about national mood or will in like the general uh, pop culture sense that is influencing the decision making. And it has since the end of uh, since uh, Obama was in since- office and decided not to enforce that red line in Syria, which is the original sin, according to a lot of these people. Uh, at no point can you realistically say that a political, a public opinion is making these decisions. These decisions are being made by fucking bureaucrats, by the deep state, by people who are operating off of cost-benefit analysis and what's possible, what we can get away with. They are doing and have been doing everything they can. The idea that there's anything that they haven't been doing out of the goodness of their heart or because they're spooked by some crisis of confidence does not exist. I mean, that, is not a, that gap is that is a fantasy. You know what that spot is? That's fucking Havana syndrome for these fucking people. That is the fantasy out uh, exterior cause of a internal malady that they can't address. And, well, then yeah, yeah. And, then, and for them, it's that it's that failure of America's power. And so they assume, no, there's a thing we could be doing that we're not doing. And if we did do it, we'd win. But no, things I think are the way they are because what, what, that capacity has been degraded. And they can't fucking face it. There's been a lot of crying about people who got exactly what they wanted. Yes. Yep. I, if you go back, if you go back in time long enough, you will see people complaining about uh, that America uh, Americans have a simplistic, uh, dumbed down version of foreign policy that always defaults into some sort of a uh, low IQ isolationism, which I would always argue is better than whatever the fuck this is. But they have gotten what they wanted by design. Americans do not give a shit or want to give a shit or ever want to think about foreign policy. That is exact. That is the only way you can have this world. But what is the consequence of that? The consequence is that not everyone is going to rally around the idea of invading Europe uh, to make you feel good. And the reason you're not doing it, by the way, the reason they're not doing that and not going to do it is not because people aren't supportive enough of the idea because they could be made to support anything once it happens. It's that it would not work. It would yeah, be exactly. Disaster, like, it would escalate to, ex- to, it would either be a humiliation or it would escalate to a nuclear conflict. And either to the one extent is not an acceptable outcome. And to the extent that Obama allowed uh, Assad to cross that red line and like the, the this this original sin for these people, because like you know everything after that, they're like, oh, like it was just because uh, you know America, you know we we won't we've we've shown our confidence is shaken. You know we need to get back in the game. But the thing is, like we didn't fucking go balls deep into Syria, despite going you know significantly more than just the tip. Let's put it that way. But the reason we didn't invade Syria or do regime change to Assad is not because U.S. public opinion was fucking soured on these things or that like we were there was some overwhelmingly anti-war or anti-imperialist block in public opinion or certainly not in Congress. It's that the Pentagon looked at it and was just like, not sorry, not going to happen. You know, we're, yep. we're, we just we're, our capacity to do it is just not there. It doesn't make any sense for us to do it at this time. Yep. But had they had that capacity, they would have fucking done it. Exactly. They, they would have fucking it because done it. Iraq had happened. And yes, and, and we had seen what happens when you go in there. And that was not an acceptable outcome. So they decided to throw a few missiles and call it a day and send in all the money and fucking support they could could to get what they could out of it, which has not been nothing.
All right, let's move into the uh, uh, the the second one. All right, this is uh, so. Let's check in on Maximum Boot. You know, oh, because if, if 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 shoddy wasn't enough for you, we got to check in on what Maximum Boot wants. We'll, we'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. <laughs> uh, this is this is this is Max Boot writing in the Washington Post. Uh, in its righteous fury, America has sometimes overreached. Don't make that mistake in Ukraine. It begins. Beware the fury of an aroused democracy, Dwight D. Eisenhower wrote at the beginning of World War II. His warning was apt. The United States would mobilize to defeat both Germany and Japan. But in later years, that same warlike impulse would lead us into misbegotten conflicts in Vietnam and Iraq. The fury of an aroused democracy needs to be carefully channeled and controlled, lest it draw America into wars that we don't need and can't win. Got an aroused democracy. I'm, I'm, I just, you can tell how aroused these people are right now. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're fully engorged yeah, at the they prospect got a nut, of though. World War III. They're III. terrified that they're going to get yeah. left uh, just with blue balls. Just edging, yeah. Not, yeah, his top hat blew off his head and spun around. Uh, he goes, right, he continues, that is a warning worth keeping in mind today as Americans unite in righteous anger at Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. The official U.S. response arming Ukraine and sanctioning Russia has been effective, but many want to go further. There are increasingly loud demands, including from Ukrainian President Zelensky, for the establishment of a no-fly zone. There have even been calls for assassinating Russian dictator Vladimir Putin from those geopolitical savants Sean Hannity and Lindsey Graham. Those are all bad ideas that will be likely to backfire. U.S. attempts to overthrow or kill foreign leaders during the Cold War seldom achieve the results we were aiming for. When such plots failed, as with Fidel Castro, they resulted in embarrassment for the United States and a dangerous escalation of tensions. The Cuban Missile Crisis was triggered in part by a Soviet desire to safeguard its Caribbean client from being ousted by the Kennedy administration. Former New York Times reporter Philip Shannon even argued in his book, A Cruel and Shocking Act, that Cuban agents in Mexico City encouraged Lee Harvey Oswald to murder John F. Kennedy because they knew JFK was trying to kill Castro. Yeah, the old, the old hands off of Cuba... Hands off oh of Cuba. I just love the idea that he's just sitting there in Mexico City. You know, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to kill Kennedy. And then, and then the Cuba guy's like, don't be a pussy. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. I, 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 love the, I love this theory because it's like, it presupposes that the Cuban agents were like, who's the best guy we have? Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> hey, he was a former Marine. You know? Yeah. They, they, yeah. Ooh, bag his drawers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, no, I'm loving it. It's like uh, when, when, when Oswald was uh, uh, coming back from defecting to the Soviet Union, they're like, so, um, so why do you want to come back to America? I'm hoping to kill the president on behalf of uh, Fidel Castro. <laughs> So he goes here, uh, the only thing worse than U.S. plots that failed were those that succeeded. In the Dominican Republic and Soviet Vietnam, the United States-backed coup plotters who killed Presidents Rafael Trujillo in 1961 and uh, Diem in 1963, resulting in instability that eventually drew in U.S. troops. Yeah, it, was the, it resulted in instability. That's what drew in the U.S. troops. It's just, they drew them in. You know, you, you, you catch more flies with instability than you do with, um, <laughs> uh, like, a rapacious need for uh, global markets and client states. Um, so it goes here. Uh, what in the historical record gives anyone any confidence that the U.S. government could either succeed in killing Putin or in managing the fallout? Loose talk of assassinating the Russian tyrant, especially from a U.S. senator, sacrifices America's moral high ground and undermines our strategy. I mean, once again, like the, these guys, the fact that they're just assuming as read that America has any moral high ground here or strategy to begin with is is pretty. I mean, I guess we do have the strategy, but like these people just take as read 
that like everyone in the world feels the same way about America that they do, which is that we have the moral high ground. And like we said, if we if we do whoopsies, then it was just it wasn't it wasn't intentional. It was just good intentions that led to bad outcomes. So he goes here. Um, we need to make clear to Putin that he is better off withdrawing from Ukraine than fighting to the death. Trying to kill him won't work and doesn't help. For the same reason, now is not the time for war crimes prosecutions of Putin. Save him an off-ramp. A no-fly zone is another extraordinarily dangerous idea. Let's be clear about what this entails. U.S. aircraft firing on Russian aircraft, radars and surface-to-air missile sites. The Russians would fire back. There would be casualties on both sides, and war fever could easily get out of control. Are we really prepared to go to a war with a nuclear-armed state? The United States wisely resisted that temptation during the Cold War, even when it meant standing by and watching Russian tanks snuff out rebellions in Hungary in 1956 and Czechoslovakia in 1968. The same calculus applies today. So, you know, this, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is slightly less than maximum boot here. So he's saying, yeah, yeah no fly zone. Moderate. <laughs> this, is a mo- this is a moderate amount of boot. And he's saying. Yeah. Alternative know. minimum boot. <laughs> See, that means he's being reasonable. That's the thing is that this is proof now because he's not calling for World War Three. He's being reasonable and you have to listen and, to him. And he's also saying U.S. interventions in uh, the Dominican Republic and Vietnam were also th- those are mistakes. Th- th- those are those are those are those are baddies. Th- Look, those are literally whoopsies. every one we ever do is a mistake. But that doesn't mean the yeah. next one will be. OK. <laughs> OK. So like we're saying, like, you know, is this moderate maximum boot? Is that you? You're saying like you, we don't want to risk a, a nuclear conflict with a state like Russia. OK, but let's say. What 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 can what can what can we do? So he goes here, um, blah blah blah, and he goes, uh, and no, we wouldn't be saved by former President Donald Trump's childish suggestion to paint F twenty twos with Chinese flags. That was <laughs> what? honestly, that was, let's do it. Let's give it a shot, huh? He um he missed a calling, you know, not being more of a neocon. I mean, he governed as one for the most part, foreign policy. But he he has a Team B-style creativity and whimsy that was missing from the neoconservative movement since the it's 70s. True. He, yeah. he got it from uh, watching The Sum of All Fears. <laughs> just, <laughs> just scrolling, he saw it on TNT, and the, the, the thing where they're like, oh, they get they, they do a false flag to get Russia and America to blow each other up. I'm like, hell yeah. Oh, that's an idea. <laughs> See, I mean, I, I think painting the F-22s with um, Chinese flags, I mean, that would, you know, Pretty good, pretty good false flag. But the thing is, they're still shaped like F twenty twos. So on radar, I think they they would you know I mean well I know they're supposed to be you know uh, like not show up on radar. They're supposed to be stealth fighters. Is that what the F twenty two is? I think so, right? I, I don't but, know. It can't fly in the rain. That's all I know. <laughs> the F thirty five can't fly in the rain. The F twenty two is like I'm pretty sure like a Texas hailstorm would probably you know flush it down the toilet. But it is less of a boondoggle than the thirty. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the F thirty five is the real, the real one. But you know, yeah. the, the the flags Fine are only going so far. You you're like you've got to have the pilots themselves be communicating over radio in like an Andy Rooney style Chinese caricature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then if they get shot down, they can just you know like uh, just just do like racist Chinese stereotypes. And people would be like, "God damn these, God damn these Chinese, these perfidious Chinese for bombing uh, Russia." <laughs> So it goes here. But okay, so, so here, here's, here's Boots' actual prescription. But just because we're not willing to whisk, risk World War III doesn't mean that we can't effectively impose Russian aggression. Look at U.S. support for the Afghan Mujahideen in the 1980s. Mm. Ukrainian, Ukrainian troops are using missiles such as the American-made Stinger to shoot down Russian aircraft. 
Russia will be never able to be able to uh, Russia will never be able to claim air supremacy as long as the flow of stingers continues. Eastern European NATO members should also provide Ukraine with Soviet fighter jets from their arsenal, while the United States should lead the way in embargoing Russian oil. So, I mean, aren't we all, we're already doing all of this, right? Like, I mean, oh yeah, this is pretty much on the prescription table. But okay, so obviously the using the example of the you know. The, the 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 brave Mujahideen fighters, as a Rambo three just called them. I know people are going to go to the, make the obvious, uh, the obvious joke here, which is like, okay, and then what happened? But I do want to shout out a Twitter account, uh, Marina Oswald, that I think made a, a quite a good point about that, which is that you can't really own these people by pointing to nine eleven as the blowback from arming and supporting the Afghan Mujahideen during their war against Russia, because nine eleven was what these people wanted to happen. Yeah, it's right, a, and. And they got everything they wanted out of 9-11. So uh, shout out Marina, uh, him or her. I don't know who they are, but uh, a, a good account. Oh. And uh, it's just, it's not, it's like, it's, it's not, it's, it's, she's made the right point. It's, it's not the, it's not the own that people think it is to say that, oh, well, we got 9-11 out of arming and supporting the Mujahideen because these people wanted 9-11 to happen. And every, and every place where some concentration of uh, right-wing fascist psychos with guns is able to uh, assert like territorial sovereignty, that is just that's a crisisunity for Washington. That, there's so many things you can do with that. It's it's a it's a it's a, a gift that keeps on giving. There's no downside. Yeah. Here. yeah in five in five years, when there's like some awful act and you are called the same names that you are being called now for not wanting further escalation, for not wanting to take part in that conflict. Yes, it will be because they have gotten what they've wanted. Yeah. Like imagine if like some. Uh, some fascist not neo-nazi uh rump uh government in and part of what used to be ukraine decides to start doing uh world war ii style pogroms uh that's another opportunity for america to uh assert its leadership role in the world yeah and, and anytime anytime america can uh like has the choice between like um an, an an independent, not even adversarial nation, but essentially like any kind of like nationalist project that is seeking to uh, stand on its own and utilize its own resources as best they can. And, you know, trading as equal partners in a global market. We would much rather take a charnel house of several decades of just unparalleled slaughter uh, in, in, in like, you know, if, if that is the choice on the table, we will always go for the latter rather than the former. Absolutely. Right. And uh, going back to Marina's point, um, this has already happened. They've already done this. They've already done this many years before everyone changed their abbeys to uh, the Ukrainian flag. They will do. They will do nothing but get what they want for the most part because they've already done it. Uh, so he goes here. Uh, boot continues. Some are alarmed that if we don't get directly involved in fighting Russia, NATO states will be next. But Russia is so bogged down, it's impossible to imagine Putin attacking anyone else anytime soon. And while Putin is evil, he isn't suicidal. He is so eager to safeguard his own health that he makes his own aides sit at the end of a preposterously long table. He isn't going to attack NATO territory because the result would be a war he couldn't win and probably wouldn't survive. The U.S. and European reaction to the Russian invasion has sent a clear signal to Putin and other despots such as Xi Jinping. Beware the fury of aroused democracies. Don't under undermine the effectiveness of our current policy with self-sabotaging acts of overreach. Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, once again, uh, just the number, you know, if America is going to give advice to Putin here, don't sabotage yourself with uh, acts of uh, imperial overreach. You, you definitely don't want to do that. I mean, they have no, they're going to do it because we did it. Everyone's going to do it. Everyone's going to find, find themselves at the back against the wall. And then they're going to try 
to throw the fucking dice and see if they can change the the, bo- the board conditions. Uh, and the only country that has a chance at doing that is, of course, China. But I, I, honestly, I don't know if that's a guaranteed thing either. But but uh, yeah, everyone's going to come to the limits of their power and then uh, have to deal with the reality of just declining sovereignty in the face of a totally algorithmic global uh, economic order that just doesn't need your fucking inputs. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, like, has America taken in any significant amount of uh, refugees from Ukraine at the current moment? I bet or we, we will. Like, I mean, a yeah. lot of European countries that were setting up fucking just a few months ago, were setting up moats and fucking uh, barbed wire fences uh, and, and calling out the military to prevent uh, refugees from entering are now just opening the doors. So I'm sure there'll be a similar uh, a change in attitude towards refugees uh, that'll coincidentally occur here. Yeah, been pretty, yeah, particularly interesting to watch Poland, who have yeah, uh, uh-huh. yeah they, they have they, Lou Bega serenading the fucking uh, border patrol like three <laughs> months ago. I mean, like, and they they don't have a storied long friendship with Ukraine exactly. <laughs> yeah, but you know when they run that shit. Yeah, I mean, white white enough, good enough. Yeah, and like, and of course, we've all read the stories about like you know the African like student people with student visas like uh, who are studying in Ukraine just being like pulled off trains and like you know just yeah. just basically kept in internment camp. You know, like they've been you know forced into like stand in circles and are getting beaten for like walking out of it. It's 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 very grim. Um, but like you know that that would be an example of something America could do to help. Um, you know, like in a humor in a humanitarian sense is. I don't know, just you know, make it easier for people to escape a war zone. I don't know. I'm just, uh, it's just, just an idea here. But uh, actually, uh, speaking of people in conflict zones, if you guys, I know you guys have been following our boy uh, uh, Terrell in Ukraine. Oh my God, Terrell's the Russian star. He is honestly, he has become the star of this war. You know, I mean, I I know everyone says, oh, it shouldn't be all about America, but you know, I got to follow my guys. What are my guys up to? And Terrell has been absolutely just. I mean. To, to accidentally report on war crimes your first week in the country is, I mean, he's like, he's like, he's the, he's the new Seymour Hirsch in my opinion. And you know what? If he doesn't step on a mine or run into the, the wrong right wing militia uh, in a bad mood and gets out of it alive, he's going to have a huge career. He's I've seen him on MSNBC. I saw, I think it was Ari Velshi, that guy. And he was, he said after, uh, after they were done, he says to the camera, he's like, doing incredible work here. We're really, we're really indebted to him. Like just pouring it on for this fucking idiot. So yeah, this is going to be another, uh, fail upward type situation that really helps explain exactly how we're all in the situation we're in. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than like, uh, you know, just because like another country is behaving like America, it doesn't, um, it doesn't mean you have to lobotomize yourself as to the very people who made America, you know, uh, such an evil country in the first fucking place. Or at the very least, it means when they, when they are counseling you to take a course of action or scolding you for not demanding more action. I mean, I'm sorry, like that's, you can say it's ad hominem or whatever, but like, I mean, people's character really, uh, and records really do count. When they're when they're the people with the they're they're the ones trying to influence uh, like out, outcomes in, in in a world that they've created. Like I said, nobody nobody wants to get what they wish for. And also, at the very same time that uh, they demand us to rally around the flag for this war and insist that America is not up for discussion any of its acts, uh, they're supporting the fucking the petropolitics that fuel literally this entire conflict. 
Like if we'd spent the last uh, 30 years or so maybe trying to wean ourselves off of uh, fossil fuels, we might not have a geopolitical chessboards laid out the way it is where this kind of like inevitable, uh, at the end of the day, resource conflict becomes the only uh, like action states can carry out in their own interests. We wouldn't be in this fucking situation. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, that does it for me on uh, on Ukraine today. I mean, these are just, uh, like I said, two very clarifying examples of, you know, the the very people responsible for everything that this country has done that is exactly like what Russia is doing to Ukraine right now is, you know, out in full force to remind you that, you know, they're the serious, sensible people and that they should always, that, that you know. And again, like, I, like who, where is this, like, where is this groundswell of people in America or the West or anywhere in the world coming out like strongly in favor of Vladimir Putin and like, you know, fondly wishing him the greatest of success in this in this current war he's waging? I mean, there are some people, I guess, like Tucker is out there uh, enraging them every night. And, and then there is like some native, uh, largely right wing sympathy for uh, the Putin project. But none of it has any influence on anything. It's absolutely beside the point in every way. It's like you're not saying anything to anyone when you own the tankies. You are just reaffirming your allegiance to a master narrative that has only one real outcome, you know, uh, escalation yeah. of conflict. And I guess, yeah, like, yeah, the, uh, I mean, the like at best, at best, what you're doing when you write a fucking article about the tankies is showing other writers how normal you are. And believe me. They do not think that of you. You're winning no points for the left. You're winning no points for yourself. No one thinks you're normal. Everyone just sees the fucking anxiety dripping off you when you do it. And, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll close bringing, a, bringing this up. And, like, I, I don't mean to be like, I don't, I don't want to, like, this isn't doom saying on my part because these people, thankfully, have uh, almost no influence as well. But I have been, I got to say, I don't think it's going to happen, but I've been, I've been, let's just say a little bit disturbed by which the ease with which a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, liberal hawks. And these are people who don't really have like media purchases, but people like cheering on this war who have now adopted the position that like a nuclear exchange between America and Russia would be like not that big of a deal. I've, yeah, I've seen people fine. say that I've seen people say that nuclear winter is only theoretical. And like, you know, they actually actually I've read some studies that say like, you know, that wouldn't happen. And it's everyone's turning into Buck Turgidson, and it's just like, look, I, I like, I don't think these people have any real uh, influence, thank God. And you know, uh, uh, Biden doesn't seem to be too uh, in, into uh, the idea of a no-fly zone either. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I, 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 I'm not worried. I hope I don't eat my words on this, but it is nonetheless disturbing to see the ease with which people are like. We shouldn't let, you know, like there's a lot of people who are like, we shouldn't let a fear of World War II deter us from doing what's right here. I mean, World War Three, regardless. But it's just like, no, like that's a that's a pretty good reason to fucking <laughs> that's a pretty good deterrent here. You know what I mean? I, uh, I got to say, thankful for Brandon. Thank you, well, Brandon. I mean, it's it's just recognizing reality. It's just it's just seeing uh, the actual window for act, like realistic action which is never the same as, as what we have to tell ourselves in, in our public discourse that we have because, you know, we, we can't face that level of uh, neuteredness. But within that window, this is the only game in town, you know, just hope you can drain the Russians uh, and, and uh, avoid an escalation that just, you know, and put the hurt on them so that they have to come to the table or at the very least uh, are, are significantly weakened. 
I mean, it's got its own significant risks, but uh, in terms of, you know, from, from the realist perspective, dealing with the mess that's now been created, it's the only, only real way forward. But, you know, these people are going to refuse to believe that and, and, and assert their, uh, their denial uh, in their pointless mewling about the failure of national will to do what needs to be done. I am um, interested and also- to see if uh, we talked about this uh, this weekend, if Russia takes the role of the world's Brandon, the world's Mac. Yeah. And if 10 years from now, it's it's like, OK, Russia really had to take one on the fucking chin and ha- just get cut out of everything. If you're using Apple Pay, the, you know, the floor fell out from under you and you're dropped underneath the Moscow subway. Uh as the need, the the needed uh, impetus to get everyone off the dollar, and if there was if there was some internal talks where China was like, well, you know, no one wants to like no one wants to take the first step in this, but I I mean, what's one country on our side that is ready to suffer? Not the one with a burgeoning new middle class. I don't know. It'll be an interesting next ten years. Indeed. Have you guys also like uh, on this? Like, have you have you followed the way in which like uh, the blob has been treating uh, that guy John was a Mearsheimer, the, yeah, sort of the oh realist, the, the realist foreign policy guy? And like, look, I mean, like they're, they're pointing to it like a like a paper he wrote in 2014 that basically laid out like basically just saying like Ukraine, like don't trust all this bullshit that Washington's pushing you into because when push comes to shove, they're not gonna they're not gonna have your back. Yeah, like that they're yeah, leading sure. you down a, a, a as he said, I said a primrose path into disaster with new this. phone, and new like, list. Yeah, and you know, I mean, like in 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 DC in the blob, there is no sin worse than being right. Mm-hmm. And like they're trying to say that, like, oh, like if if you hear like the uh, what's his name, uh, Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, like he approvingly cited Mearsheimer's paper. So so it was Mearsheimer actively doing Russian propaganda. It's just like I mean, this is this is this is the fruits of RussiaGate, man. This yeah. is the fruits of like every looking at every problem with America and just saying, oh, Russia did that to us. Well, the reason anyone, that, anyone who says any truth about the world is just like is going to be suspect. Some of his little blog larva students like wrote to the fucking teacher, wrote to the, the dean or something making because he made them feel bad. He gave them a tummy ache. Oh, yeah. And these, they, want, they fucking went to the principal. God. Yeah, the U Chicago kids. Yeah, bugs. Um, yeah, I mean, and the real the reason they're like particularly fucking angry at Mearsheimer is he gave up the game, which is what does America do but gas you up, make you give up fucking just uh, fucking oceans of blood, lose your children, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, uh, in a war that we will. I mean, we'll send you some guns. We'll make sure they end up uh, with the worst people in your entire country. But we're not really going to be there with you. That is the real thing they don't want to hear because it's a nasty, fucking evil thing that America does. Gas people up and then we're not really there for them when shit hits the fan. And that is the real reason that everyone from these uh, the blob elders to the people who will be the blob elders, these you Chicago students, really fucking freaked out on on him because they know they've either either done that or will do that. And also he tells them something that they all understand at some level, but just spend all of their days ritually uh, disavowing, which is that, Hey, uh, Russia's a country with power and interests and it will yeah. pursue them. Like him pointing that out that, that they, they really think no, that that's doing, that's doing Russian uh, propaganda etiquette yeah. to bring this up because no, what, what Putin does is up to us. 
We yep. get to determine what he does. No, he gets a say in this. And, and, and what like, ends up happening is a negotiation between the fucking powers. That by definition has to be like, that's, that's, there is no, we don't possess the ability to negate his entire range of uh, action that, and that we cannot accept that. And, you know, like, I mean, yeah, this is the thing. And like, look, it's not like the, uh, the, you know, University of Chicago realist foreign policy school offers like, you know, t too many jewels that I would uh, counsel uh, heeding their advice. But the thing is, despite the fact that it's in the name realists, I mean, like if, 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 if you were arguing or out, out laying out a case that like, look, America, we're going to have to, we're going to have to take our medicine. We're going to have to swallow this pill and fucking deal with the world as it actually exists. That is like that is going to put that like that is dangerous. You are going to be uh, slandered before that. And like it, what we said here is like like um, uh, like America doesn't have to do any of these things. Like we could begin to negotiate a way out of our empire and our way out of being a global military hegemon that thinks that like yes, what Putin does is up to us. We could use our considerable wealth and influence to negotiate a way in which we are one of not, not the indispensable nation, but one of several nations that, uh, you know, uh, that in concert with one another, like has to make uh, concessions and like there's a, a give and a take that we cannot just, we neither have the, the will, the capacity or the right to uh, continue uh, to, to pretend like it's, you know, like 1950 all over again or even 1998. It's just, it's not there. And are we gonna are we gonna choose the path where we're gonna um, escalate every conflict in the world by client or proxy or directly, um, so that we can like uh, you know hang on to whatever morsels of like geopolitical dominance that we have left to us, or are we gonna take a, a, a different path, and one that you know sometimes involves uh, you know meaning that that we're not number one anymore, or that or that or that Russia and China's ambitions are no different than the ambitions of this country. Well, I thought I thought that was one of the absolute best reasons to support Bernie was that he was someone who could negotiate America's step down from the single power in the world. Something that is coming no matter no matter what you say, no matter what feelings you have inside, no matter how much you warn people that the multipolar world is scary and pointed and fucking gross, that it's happening That's like no it's matter scary, what. So what? It's right. happening. It's happening. There's nothing you can do about it except for negotiate our exit and create the conditions for there at least to be some type of peace. Uh, Nixon instead, tried to do it first, and they fucking stitched him up for it and have been yeah. ever since. Instead, we are going to get delusion, and we are going to drag everyone else with us on our way down, and we will, not, yeah, and how we, will not, we will not get the things that other empires that ended their empires got, which is at least a glut of social welfare policies at home. We will not even get that. We're going to get delusion right down to the cinders. Mm. And, you know, I mean, and that is the terrifying thing about all this. Because, like you know, like, like we're, we're, we have not reached the acceptance stage yet, and we're, we're we haven't even done bargaining. We're just in anger at this point, and I really feel it's gonna. How how many how many other people in other countries are gonna die so that we can hang on to this fucking these fucking illusions, and we can continue to tell the rest of the world, uh, you know, uh, uh, what is good and evil? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're seeing all the old all the tricks the empires uh, are, are always done. Uh, Gassing up this group of people over there, giving X amount of weapons that end up with God knows who always end up with the most extreme groups, because guess what? Moderate groups don't last that fucking long in war. Leave them high and dry, leave them out. But with the new tools of being called a heartless and a scumbag, if you if you don't participate in the gassing up, we'll we'll light a billion fires around the world as we always have done. But uh, just with worse articles than ever. 
just fine. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I think that uh, does it uh, for today's show. But uh, before we go, uh, a few, a bit of house cleaning, a few announcements regarding our upcoming uh, Texas jaunt. Hello. Yes, I do have some good news about the uh, for all of you who are not able to uh, enter our or win our ticket giveaway contest for the South by Southwest show. I have been informed by Patreon that there will be a certain amount of free general admission spots held open for our South by Southwest show this coming Sunday, March 13th at Cheer Up Charlie's at 4 p.m. at Austin. Uh, now, spots in this uh, venue are going to go to uh, South by Southwest badge holders first uh, and our guaranteed uh, 50 people who won our contest. But the total space there, I'm told, is something like 600 people. So whatever amount of people you think will show up by South by Southwest to see us speak, 600 minus that, there will be that many spots left available. So if you want to show up and wait and see us for free for general admission, that is a possibility. No guarantee of if you will get in, but I can't imagine that we're going to get 600 uh, South by Southwest badge holders out for this. So um, yeah, no. We don't have any, uh, our panel will not discuss uh, any ways uh, to NFT or yes. anything. So I doubt it. Uh, so that is available and hope we get as many of you guys in as possible. Uh, but if not, uh, we will also be at Long Play Lounge East on the 16th. Uh, we might have some extra spots for that. If we can get extra people in at the door, I will announce that in the, some of the next few shows. And of course, still a few spots remaining at, for Dallas on March 18th, a few spots remaining for Houston on March 22nd and uh, many spots remaining in New Orleans. Uh, please come out to that show. That's going to be fun. We might have some special guests for New Orleans. Uh, so we'll keep you posted on those as well. New Orleans is on, of course, March 24th. Uh, those are my announcements. Hopefully see you guys, as many of you as possible, at Cheer Up Charlie's in Austin on 4 p.m. this Sunday. We cannot wait. We're so excited to go to Texas to adhere to the local BDS laws. This is going to be... This is going to be a tour to remember at South by Southwest. I will be, uh, I will be introducing my new, uh, completely black soles of my feet in the metaverse, <laughs> the first dirty floor in the metaverse. There's going to be a lot of fun. I think, I don't know what we have. Like your best shot is in new Orleans. Everywhere yeah. else is that everywhere else is sold We're out. Approaching almost, sold out. I don't know. Almost. Everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. New Orleans is a significantly so, bigger you, venue, though. Yeah. We'll see yeah. you there. Texas and Louisiana. We'll see you soon. All right. Bye, bye guys. guys. Bye-bye.